Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Reading the Room, a podcast in which I am joined by a bookish guest to talk about something bookish. And today I am beyond excited to have Hernan Diaz join me. He's the author of the 2022 Booker Longlisted novel, Trust, and one of my favorite novels of the year. And he's also a Pulitzer Prize finalist for In the Distance as well. So Hernan, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, Jalen, the, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Before we get into the novel, do you mind giving a brief synopsis of the literary puzzle that is Trust? Oh boy, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a novel that challenges a little bit being summarized or, 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 or fight, pushes back against uh, summaries. I suppose the novel itself offers, offers its own summary in a, in a table of contents that precedes the actual text. So the, the book tells the story of, of a great great American fortune. It's, it's the story of perhaps, you know, the, the wealthiest man in the world at the time in the 1920s and 30s, and his wife and his secretary. The book is organized in four different sections that are standalone uh, documents. The first one is a novel within the novel uh, written by fictional author um, Harold Vanner that narrates the ascent of a great American tycoon, sort of this self-made man who amasses this, this incredible fortune and crucially his relationship, his, his, his marriage, his relationship with his wife. In this, in this, so this is a full, uh, on the briefer side, uh, but it's full novel within the novel. And then uh, the second document we encounter is a sort of a historical document in fragments, and uh, it's a it's an autobiography we we discover very quickly written by the man in real life on whom the novel we just read had been based, and this man this real life American tycoon is not pleased with how he's been depicted, so he wants to set the record straight. The third section of the book takes us to 1985, I believe, and we find there a 70-year-old woman who's looking back on her life, and it turns out she, in her early 20s, was the secretary to uh, the tycoon who wrote that memoir in the second section. Uh, so we get to uh, learn a bit more about him and her and the growing enigma of who his wife truly was that 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 is sort of the the pulsing um uh, force that that courses through the novel but also at this point you know the reader or some readers have enough uh, elements to to kind of have their own hypotheses it's it's a novel that's very generous with the reader because it's a it's a it's a puzzle but but all but all the elements are there so to some uh it will be clear it's it's not sort of a gotcha. There, there isn't, there isn't a big explosive reveal. It's just the, the journey of of how uh, things come together. And then, lastly, this this seventy year old woman, former secretary, now a successful writer herself, she's doing this archival work uh, as she reminisces about her life in in the archives that that contain the the, the papers of the tycoon and his wife. And tucked in a within a notebook, she finds there. Um, the wife's part of the wife's uh, personal journal, and this very personal journal is the fourth part of of the book. Where maybe to some readers there will be a few uh, big surprises, and to other readers it will there will be uh, many confirmations, and both reactions are equally welcome. 
yeah, when I got to that last part, I was um, I was blown away. I'll just leave it there, <laughs> not to get into okay, the content too yeah. much. But it, it's it's so good. It's just it's ridiculously good. Um, oh, and man. the reason why I was so drawn to this book is because, and I would say like in the last year and a half, I've been really drawn to books that play with the novel as a form, and whether that be in a metafictional way or not. And here, as you mentioned, trust has these four parts that play off of each other to craft this larger narrative. And I'm wondering for you, when you started writing trust, did it start with this metafictional idea of using the four part structure? Or did it start with the story of the Rasks? Or did it start somewhere else? No, it, did, it didn't start with the four uh, parts or the metafictional uh, kind of play with with form. Although, just like you, I'm, I, I too, I'm drawn to to books that ask themselves what literature just might be, you know, and, and the writing of the book and the asking of the question seem to be part of one same gesture. So that that's the stuff that I read. And, and that's, you know, this m most of the stuff you see behind me is in one or way or another uh, in that, in that tradition, but no, no, it started more uh, like all my, as, as all my projects start, uh, in, in a very vague, vaporous, uh, undefined way. And I, I, I was just interested in, in in wealth and the sense of isolation and reach that, that perhaps come with extreme wealth. I was also puzzled, as, I, as I've said elsewhere, that I didn't feel that that money was represented in the American canon in ways that to me, to me, were were productive or interesting, despite having this outsized role in, in, in the American imagination. So that dissonance to me was, was very productive. And then the more I started reading toward this novel, I also realized that, you know, all the narratives about, about a capital in the, in, in the United States and presumably elsewhere, I think it would be a safe bet to say that everywhere are devoid of women. And, and this to me was insane that, that, that the, the very sort of instrument that defines power in modern society, which is money, right? Which underlays every every power structure is materially conditioned by by capital, um, and that women had been excluded from the narratives of capital was to me a, a politically a, a very heavy and important erasure that deserved some kind of uh, examination. And then, sorry, this is this is absolutely long-winded, but but this is this was the journey, and this is when the metafictional four-part structure really kicked in, and the whole project took flight, because I, I thought, well, in, instead of thematizing this voicelessness, instead of just just talking about it, wh why not turn it into a formal into form? Why don't why not write why not write that with that? So, so the changes in voice have to do with that, with with you know who who has a who has a voice who's been denied one in in terms of these narratives of power in in the United States. And I wanted to enact that. I wanted to perform that formally, perform formally. Sorry, that's ugly, but yeah, that's so interesting to hear you say that because that's what fascinated me so much about this book is that it seems like as I was reading it, I was realizing how money and wealth and capital is a fiction in itself. And then seeing how you then use the story form to kind of explore that further and kind of get deeper into that question of when someone is a tycoon, such as Benjamin Rask in the novel version of the story, um, yes. thinking about how his he's a little bit like removed, I would say, in terms of his desire to obtain wealth. He's very good at it. In the, the novel questions 
why he behaves in that way. And it seems to be unpacking his behavior and sort of in a character study of why he is the way he is, especially in relation to his to his wife. I think it's really interesting seeing how then when you sort of shift the perspective later on in the novel, while still you being the author of all of these parts. I mean, I'm wondering how, I guess I'm getting at, when you wrote the first section of this book, how did you intentionally play with the authorial voice there? Of course, it's you. Also, like how much did you try to take in another voice there? Well, to to a large extent, uh, did I try to take in another voice? I mean, I, I was inviting, I was, I was hoping to be haunted and possessed and poltergeisted by some other voice in each in each one of the sections not not just the first one and i you know and i i think in general that's just the way i write i i i sort of write against myself i don't i don't write myself out you know i don't i i i don't have a, con, a like a confessional conception of literature i i think i think literature and fiction in particular is Again, to me, this is not a dogma. It doesn't apply to anyone else. It's just the way I feel about my own work as I'm as I'm trying to do it. I I I I'm interested in successive layers and removal and mediations and 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 get and getting lost as a as a self, um, getting lost in, in in the text and being as untraceable as I possibly can. So the structure obviously was um, very inviting and very appealing to me because those are my tendencies in general and this only exacerbated all of that in the first part i'm, I'm i mean it's obviously in, in conversation with a certain turn of the century american canon you know very noticeably henry henry james edith wharton constance fenimore wilson i mean that that kind of crew uh from from that period and i what i liked about that as opposed to because the novel the novel in the novel is written in the 30s and you know it's the heyday of sort of american social realism and also of course uh, experimental literature and you know american versions of the avant-garde there is so much going on but what i liked i felt it was right to have an outdated voice a touch of decadence i thought i thought would be would be important it's also also to convey a certain sense of uh, subdued and hushed uh, grandeur you know there's nothing and I wrote like a style guide for each section and and for him it was you know he's not a nouveau riche of language you know it, it could never be showy but you had to feel a certain kind of uh, both of pomp and comfort you know so so that that is the kind of voice but also I should say like I'm, I'm left to my own devices I, I love 19th century literature that's that's the kind of stuff I I would read all the time if if I didn't also want to be engaged in what's being written today and be part of that conversation and and modernism is also something that I that I love and that you can see very palpable in the last section so if the first one is sort of the cusp of the of the sort of realist novel in the in the anglo-american tradition the last section is sort of also the, the at the height of, of high modernism and and that was a journey that I was interested in as well in the, in the novel aside from the from the plot and the diegetical uh, journey I thought okay it would be cool if also you could you could see a, a swath of, of literary history unfolding and, and section three also is sort of new journalism and I was thinking about Joan Didion for that and it, you know it so and, and Lillian Ross and it's sort of and it's yet another branch of 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 American and, and British 
and British literature. And, you know, and for the going back to the fourth section of, you know, Virginia Woolf is an, is an outsized presence there. But, you know, also Jean Riz, also Iris Arrigo, also, you know, the list goes on and on and on. And uh, for the second section, uh, you know, I was interested in, in these hyper-masculine historical narratives, you know, man-spreading books, you know, uh, which I which I had to read for about a year that was my life and it was it was not so much fun but um so so yeah so 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 each section is inviting a di either a different voice in particular but, but 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 more generally a certain kind of conception of what literature is for each one of these four in each one of these four paradigms i think that's so fascinating how you were able to contain so many different influences and styles within one text, which I think is so, I'm not a writer myself. So, I mean, any, any novel I read, I'm like, how do people do this? This is wild. Um, <laughs> but this particularly, I'm like, this is really, really interesting and engaging and you're always getting something different on every page, which I loved, yeah. but kind of going to those questions of realism and fiction, this is something I've been thinking about of late. I would say like my sort of questioning of certain books that I like kind of started with me realizing I love auto fiction and this idea of an author through a fictional form playing with their own voice in a certain sense, but also within the bounds of fiction, I'm often thinking about what are those bounds? Like wh what are the boundaries that someone, a writer should or should not have when writing fiction? And so I guess the question for you is, I've been seeing some like discourse of late about the morality about writing about say like real people. Trust in a sense through each perspective has the reader question, what, what is the truth of what they're reading? I guess my question for you is, do you think fiction has to abide by certain rules in terms of allowing the reader to trust the authorial voice that they're reading um, to be effective or make some sort of sense or to be like moral in its representation of real life, if that makes sense. Um, my, my first answer would be just a blanketed no. I don't, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think the rules. I think, I don't, I on, honestly don't think so. I mean, for others, I said all of, all sorts of bizarre rules for myself that change from project to project I don't have like I don't adhere to any dogma I don't believe in any kind of manifesto I don't like all all of that is depressing to me and 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 tame in a way what's wonderful about art in general is that it's what we were saying a moment ago it's just asking yourself about what you're doing and 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 why and how it ought to be done but if but if but if most most of the answers are given beforehand, then it's just like it it feels like you're writing with a cookbook in your hand, like you're following some kind of some kind of steps, you know, or program. Not for me. I mean, people have done it obviously throughout uh, um, uh, centuries that way. Some of them to uh, you know fantastic results, but it's just not the way in which I'm interested in working. There was a second part to your question that had to do with sort of the ethical dimension of, of fiction, I, I believe. Ask me about writing about real people. This is not something that concerns me. I don't I don't know what to say about that. Like, I, I don't know. I would have to think about it. But what I can venture for now is that when you, when, when you start saying, well, if you write about real people and we could extend that to real places or to real communities or to real real x you know that 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 to me is something that, that has a like a red 
is a red flag. Again, for me, it betrays to my mind a certain degree of sort of, I wrote a little essay about this and I think the term I coined was referential anxiety, you know, that, that you feel that you have to, you have to be truthful to, to some objective pre-given reality that is somehow stable, which I already disagree with, you know? Um, so I think, but this, but this, however, doesn't, doesn't excuse literature from having a relationship to truth or having an ethical dimension. I firmly believe those two things to be true. I think literature has a commitment to truth. Uh, not only that, has a way of showing truth um, uh, in a way that other uh, discursive uh, forms don't. I mean, think about, just think about how much science have has changed over the course of the last let's say 2000 years just to give a, a very clear marker change how much uh, think about how much history has changed in the course of 2000 years and how much i don't know the legal discourse what what used to be legal what is no longer legal and vice versa has changed over the last 2000 years so and these are very like typical reference we go to for for truth right science the law his you know history historical accuracy but all of this has has changed uh, to you know endlessly over, over 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 the last even century whereas i feel that that fiction itself has for that same time span been able to offer us constantly and relentlessly a certain measure of truth about what it means to be a person and uh, and to inhabit the world and to be with others and how it is what it means to face another human literature has been keeping track of this for such a long time you know and and i think it has a relationship to truth even though it's not measurable by the standards you offered up in your question like how how do they correspond with a real person or a real circumstance i think i think it's it would be much longer we can devote the entire interview to talking about this if you like because i'm interested but what i while i don't believe that literature ought to be put under the thumb of providing referential accuracy i don't think that's the job of literature at all i do think that that literature has um uh, an ethical dimension and 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 has and is uh, a window into some form of truth. That's a fascinating response. There's a lot to chew on there. And, and the reason why I asked that question, I guess, is because these are questions that were kind of coming up to me when I was reading this, particularly in terms of the Andrew, the second section, Andrew Bevel sort of responding to the quote unquote historical inaccuracies that might have been portrayed yeah. within the first section. And so thinking about how that is then in, in a new form of truth through an autobiography, which we are then shown also has its inaccuracies um, yeah. through the rest of the book. It's really interesting to me thinking about how fiction can sort of distort reality and this sort of boundary of fact versus fiction, which I think you really get at in a nuanced way in this book. It poses like a really huge question in the mind of the reader, which is why I love this book so much. And I, I find myself thinking about it like every day <laughs> because it makes me question like what other books that I've read and like, what is the form doing, I guess? That's, that's always my favorite question in upon reading books. So I guess kind of going off of that, do you have other metafictional or not books that you feel like are in conversation with trust or other authors that you think for people that love this book would really get some joy out of as well? Well, uh, you know, I mentioned so many 
already. You know, we, we yeah. talked about Constance Fenimore Wilson, Henry James. We talked about Edith Wharton. We talked about Jean Riss, Virginia Woolf. Borges, to me, is a very strong presence. And he also, you know, I think he was the ultimate master of metafiction in his short stories. So Jorge Luis Borges, the Argentine writer. Uh, I even I even wrote a whole book on on him because that was my first published book was was on his work. It's an academic book that I I wouldn't sort of desire on anyone uh, uh, or wish on anyone. But uh, Nabokov is is very direct, also reference and influence. Although I haven't reread him in in a bunch now, but I you know I've read almost all his stuff uh, throughout the years. So yeah, Nabokov is definitely high up there. I think uh, some some books by Muriel Spark also are very important to me. A writer who does metafiction in some of his novels in a weird, fascinating way is Samuel Beckett, especially in his trilogy, which is a is a very important book. Like I consider that one book and, um, uh, you know, uh, Malloy Malone Dice and The Unnameable are the three novels within it. Tremendously important books to me. Also, Don Quixote uh, is, a, is a big meta, uh, metafictional, I mean, perhaps the greatest of them all. Uh, Lauren Stern, Tristram Shandy, uh, the list goes on and on. I'm sure I'm forgetting, like, we'll log off and I'll go like, oh, shoot, I didn't mention X, Y, Z. Those would be part part of my canon, I suppose. Yeah. Going to the craft of this book generally, I'm curious to know, did you like have a chart or an outline or some other tool that you use to kind of keep <laughs> the pieces together? Uh, I, I don't work with outlines, you know. What I do is I have since since we're here I can show you like I write longhand and uh what what I what I will what I will do rather than outlines is like here's a random a random page like of my manuscript so I will like write and then make little notes in the margin here of things maybe that come up that I want to make sure I don't forget as I'm writing the body of text but you know the whole thing was written in these four notebooks they're, they're big format notebooks, as you can see. No, it's, I don't use, I don't use anything. I don't, like, I don't have post-it notes on the wall and uh, I don't, I don't work with outlines. I don't draft either. Like I write from beginning to end and I edit a lot as I go. Like most of my writing day is really editing the stuff that I already have. And then I write a few hundred words, which then will be edited for years and years and years. So th this means that when 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 the oh and as I go with with these notebooks I, I I just showed you then you know I will also in the meantime trans transcribe as I go type out as I go and uh, and that's also a big editorial pass but that means that when I get to the end I I'm done I mean sure I, I print it out and keep editing but it's not like I don't have number drafts or anything it's just it's a it's a so one thing, it's it, I'm not recommending this to anyone. I'm I'm just describing what I do. Yeah, yeah, I'm always curious. I mean, particularly in this novel, as I mentioned, I I just it's really interesting to hear how you question the different forms and how you kind of kept it all kind of contained. It feels it just seems to me it would be so hard, but <laughs> that's awesome to hear how you went about doing that. Yeah, no, I'm not saying it's necessarily easy. I'm 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 just describing the 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 process as I as as it unfolds and. You know, in, in this case also, I I did write one book at the time. You know, I didn't, 
like I wrote, first of all, I wrote the novel within the novel. And, and that's all I did. I didn't, like I was thinking of the other books and I was thinking how it would all come together. And I'm sure I was taking little notes in those little bubbles that I just showed you. And I email myself, I do that a lot, like on my phone you know, in the middle of the night or on the subway, I will have thoughts. And, and then, you know, I have a long list of emails with the title of the project. And then I, I look at those as I go, but, but I fully inhabited each voice at the, at a time. And then what, what did happen was when I was doing that edit that I told you about, you know, when I'm, I'm done and I print the thing out and I realized that there were too many grammatical, syntactical punctuation similarities between some of these voices. So I really had to get in that. That was the biggest late edit that I had to do was at a very minute level, make these voices different. Uh, like they understand the English language in a, in a different way, not just they have a different register or different mannerisms, uh, but more deeply, like how do they use certain subordinate clauses? And, uh, you know, how, how do they use commas? Do they use M dashes instead of colons and stuff like that? You know, that was too homogenous across, across four books. I had to really break up and that, that was a big challenge. This is super nerdy and probably everyone is logging off by now. So. <laughs> I'm fascinated by it. <laughs> um, I, I love hearing, you know, writers talk about how they, you know, produce the final object that is in our hands. You know, I think it's just so fascinating. I wanted to ask how you feel generally about talking about this book, like on a public platform and doing press for your book. I'm really appreciative of you taking the time to come on here and talk about it. So do you have any thoughts about that? Oh, that's, that's an unusual question. Thank you. Um, I don't, but I can come up with some. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't have no pressure. Um, no, it's, you know, it's, it's a bit paradoxical because on the, on the one hand, the, the book should be enough. Like I shouldn't be here talking to you or any, or anyone. It's not you personally. I mean, it's just, if the, if the, if the book is doing its thing correctly, I ought to be completely superfluous, but you know, it's, it's undeniable that, that, that books in, exist today and have been existing now for quite a long time in the, inside an, inside an industry. And then this is, and this is, this is part of that. And what, and, and the funny thing too, is once I'm into it, some somewhat reluctantly for the reasons I just said, like, I feel, uh, but, but then I, I really, I, I kind of, um, I enjoy these conversations a lot because the, because the book not because it's about my book, but because, but because the the book deals with with issues that I'm that I'm very interested in, uh, issues about literary form, about literary history, about representation, and then representation gives us a, a, a bridge to you know politics, power, ethics, as as as, as you yourself brought up, and th these are things that like. Outside of my family, I don't care about anything as much as I do. So I, I invariably get very sucked into these conversations and end up really, really enjoying them. Yeah, well, that's that's why I wanted to start doing these author interviews, because I, I agree with you. I mean, I think this book stands alone. And I just think I think it's an interesting question of how or the expectation placed on writers to talk about their books. And I just love hearing how authors kind of feel about it and getting the different reads on that. I feel like it would probably I, I'm not a writer myself, but I would think it would be kind of weird feeling to talk about it. And I don't know, in a way, but I don't know. Yeah. Oh, it's definitely a little, a little weird. And it's this and also just the sheer vanity of it all. Like, you're you know, you're talking about yourself and, and your book and you know, 
your process and all of these things. It's a little like if you if you take a a very tiny step back and and look at yourself from the outside, it's like what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for entertaining that question. I was just curious. <laughs> I don't really okay. have a question about this, but I wanted to congratulate you on the very exciting news about this being adapted into uh, for television starring Kate Winslet. So I don't. I'm sure it's probably very early on in the process, so I don't have a question, but just congratulations, and it's something I'm oh, very much looking you. forward to. Thank you. Thank you. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be very cool. Yeah. I'm very intrigued no, to see. It's, yeah, it's pretty wild, and uh, you know, everyone involved in, in the adaptation is just a genius. Everyone so far have you know, so smart. We, we just got a director and it hasn't been announced. So I feel like I should be quiet, but I'm so excited to share it with everyone and, and, and to see what they will do with this. It's just, it couldn't be in better hands. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled. Awesome. Congratulations. Um, so last couple questions here. Do you have a recent read that you really loved? I need us all to be talking about this book uh, is uh, Joy Williams's Harrow. I, um, I thought, I thought it was genius and devastating and funny and terrifying and it does so many things and the writing is just uh, gorgeous i also loved uh, percival everett's the trees right now i'm in the middle of reading all quiet on the western front which i've always wanted to read uh, eric maria remarque it's this classic world war one novel i would say it's a pacifist novel but it's it's be it's beautiful it's beautiful i'm only like maybe 50 60 pages in i just started it and it's i'm, I'm glad i'm reading it is there anything coming out this year or is in the future generally that you're looking forward to yes there is a book I very much want to read by my friend Hilary Leichter, whom you should definitely have on your show. I think you would love her stuff. She has been working on this novel. I read an early draft and it blew me away. And I, I know through her that it has grown a lot and it's become longer, has new sections that I've never heard of. And I'm very much looking forward to Hilary Leichter's uh, next book. She wrote Temporary, right? Is that... Yes. Her book? Okay. Yes. I have it on my shelves. I was like, is that the title? Yeah. Okay. So we'll do. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time today. I love chatting with you and thank you for entertaining my sort of broad questions, but I think you, I love hearing okay. your answers to them. So well, thank you so I hope much. I, I hope I wasn't too long winded, but I'm, I'm very grateful to you for having invited me and, uh, and thank you for uh, fighting the good fight for, uh, for fiction and literature. <laughs> thank you so much um everyone watching i'll leave a link below to purchase the book and i hope you all love it as much as i did because i think it's a masterpiece so thank you so much <laughs> thank you